This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. We'll take God's Word and turn to Philippians chapter 4. The title of this message is Guarding Your Heart and Guarding Your Mind. Paul wrote this letter in prison, and he was writing it to a church in Philippi that he had planted on his second missionary journey. And he loved these people. He was proud of these people. And he wanted to see them grow spiritually. If you remember, to the Galatians, Paul said, I labor until Christ is formed in you. His desire was to teach and preach in such a way that the people would grow spiritually. And so, if you're taking notes, the first point I'd like to make this morning is this. Number one, the results of an unguarded heart and mind. The results of an unguarded heart and mind. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 1 through 3 here. Paul says, therefore, notice his terms here, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see. He missed them. I'm sure he was visualizing their faces. I'm sure he was thinking of even their body language, their disposition, the way that they were, and he was just missing what he enjoyed when he last remembered being with them. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see. And then he says something interesting. He says, my joy and my crown. Now, it's almost like Paul right here, and we know that he did this because he's the one who taught us. It's like Paul all of a sudden turns his focus from time to eternity. It's almost like the earth flies away and he's thinking of eternity. Possibly he's thinking about the day that he'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, judgment seat of Christ is not to be judged whether you're saved or not. It's a place of rewards and also loss of rewards, the Bible teaches. And it could be that he used this word crown. He used this word because back in those days when they had uh, the games and things, the winner would get a crown and, and they'd get a garland that was put around their neck. And so he's seeing the Philippians this way. He's seeing them maybe as that stone that's going to be in his crown one day because he is their spiritual father. He led them to Christ. He brought them together, and he's encouraging them along. And then it's almost like he leaves that picture talking about the crown, possibly the judgment seat of Christ. Then he finds himself back in time on this terrestrial ball in a prison, and something that's on his mind that he has to deal with, and he deals with it so perfectly, and I believe it is a testimony of a minister of Christ walking in the Spirit. And so he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, and then he says, Stand firm in the Lord. It's like he transitions now back to time, back to life. And he's saying, stand firm. This is why. Because he knows they're being shaken, and he's being shaken. And he says, stand firm. Other places he says, stand firm in the faith. And whenever the Bible says the faith, it's talking about the doctrines of the Word of God. Stand firm on the doctrines of the Word of God. In this way, stand firm in the Lord. It's like it's bringing back to his mind the fact that we're in a spiritual battle. Sometimes we get so focused on conflicts 
that we forget back behind it all is Satan and his demons working worldwide. Uh, even in the political arena today, sometimes we get so focused on the liberals and the conservatives that we forget that Satan and his demons are working in both parties. Sometimes we get so focused on what's Russia going to do, or Iran's going to do, or China. And we also have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do as the United States of America? Because I want to tell you, Satan is alive and well, and his demons right here, as, the same as he is in every nation on earth. He's bothering people all over this earth. And so it's like Paul is saying, we've got to stand firm in the Lord. He says, my beloved. Why? Because Satan and his demons, they're like termites. They go into a beautiful home and silently eat it away with wrong influence until the whole thing crumbles down. Look at verse 2. He makes a transition here. He's actually easing into it by saying, stand firm. But verse 2 says, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Sentius to live in harmony in the Lord. Now, apparently these two ladies had a conflict among themselves. But somehow know that these ladies were in conflict. And so Paul now is touching on it, and then he's moving away. He's not being passive-aggressive. And the fact that it, this is in the letter, and we're still reading it to this very day, is a shame to these two ladies. But it is what it is, and Paul is dealing with it. He's both firm and loving all at the same time. The key for these two women would be to realize in the Lord you can live in harmony. Though you don't agree with one another, maybe in something, in the Lord you can agree in harmony. And I can say the same thing in marriage. If there's tension in marriage, if there's a strong desire to make him conform to your image, or there's a strong desire to make her conform to your image, Trust me, in the Lord, you can live in harmony. Amen? Knowing I'm in Christ and relying on Christ in you is standing firm in the Lord. That's what that is. Look at verse 3. Indeed, true companion, probably talking here about Aphrodite, he says, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle. Now look at what Paul's doing. He's not discrediting them. He's done what he needed to do. And I guarantee you, he did it with a broken heart. And now he's moving on. He says, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers. Listen, whose names are in the book of life? You know what? These two ladies are going to be with each other for all eternity. Why? Because their names are written in the book of life. They may as well begin now on this terrestrial ball in this moment called time to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just go ahead and do it now and stand firm in the Lord. So what's Paul doing here? He's told them how much I love you. I see you from the eternal realm, and you're like a diadem in my crown. You're like a garland of leaves around my neck. 
and I love you. And so he's dealt with the problem firmly and in love and mentioning them as fellow workers. That reminds me of talking about elders, fellow elders. Not one is above another in the teaching of elders. They are equal. You may have a special leader among equals, but they're all equal. Peter called himself a fellow elder. Paul is saying here, he's dealing with this problem firmly and in love, and he mentions them as fellow workers for the cause of the gospel. So the second thing is this. What is the response of a guarded heart and mind? What's the response? Look at verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Well, Pastor Chris, that sounds like Norman Vincent Peale, who wrote the famous book, The Power of Positive Thinking. But not with the Apostle Paul. (laughs) That's not the same mindset. He's saying, Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Oh, it says always in the New American Standard. He says, Again, I will say, Rejoice. You know what? When we rejoice, it changes the atmosphere wherever we are. When we sing together on Sunday mornings and just rejoice in the Lord together, standing firm in the faith, putting aside what she said, what he said, not taking up the offense because that is sin and it always defiles many. Can't do that. But when we rejoice in the Lord, it changes the atmosphere. There's nothing harder for me to spend time with someone and they just never have anything to say about the Lord. After a while, I just need some time away. Have you ever been with someone, you can't prime the spiritual pump, it just won't come up. And you say, I need you to say something about Jesus to me and encourage me. It changes the atmosphere. He says in verse 5, he said, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men that the Lord is near. Now, we can try to have the posture of the Lord being near. You know, I pick on the Pope all the time, but he'll have to just forgive me. (laughs) But, you know, the Pope, you know, he's got his way. He walks the way he holds his hands and, you know, he does all these things. But that's stuff that he's learned to do. He's learned to do that, to have the appearance of humility. What Paul is saying here is this, that people need to know when they're with you that the Lord is near. What's our motto? Christ in us for others. They should know that the Lord is near, that your disposition is changed. The way you think determines what you do, determines how you feel. It exudes out of you. And so, he says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, Remember, he's saying this in the context of what's happened with these two ladies. They're born again. They have a home in heaven. Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but they're in conflict with one another. And for Paul to address it, knowing that what's in there is going to be there forever for all ages to read over and over again, it must have been serious, and it was taking the church down. And what Paul is urging them to do, he's urging them to be selfless. And to stop it, be measured in what you say when you're with others. Don't spread anything negative because it defiles many. And when someone is doing that, you have to say, I love you, but I can't involve myself in this because it will eat me up and I will eat my spouse up and my children will even be affected. It's like pushing over dominoes. So he says here, The Lord is near every day, all day long, wherever you are, 
practice the presence of God. I often, when I'm texting with guys, and I'll say, you're my eternal brother in Christ Jesus. Almost always say, Jesus is coming soon. The reason I say that is because I really believe He's coming soon. I say that all the time, and it is correct. But guess what? We celebrate every year. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. He's already here, and He lives inside of me and you. Not only is the Lord near, my friend, He lives in us to do through us what we can't do for ourselves. And so, He's our governor. He governs all through the day, 24-7, practice His presence. And as your emotions serve up to your mind things that are negative, realize it for what it is and say, Lord, control me. Control my thoughts. Oh, Father, what I'm thinking now, keep that from passing through my lips by Your Holy Spirit. I surrender to that. I stop this madness that tears down like a colony of termites. He says, the Lord is near. Therefore, stand firm in the Lord. Live in harmony. And the reason we can is not because she will conform to me or he's going to conform to me. It's an encouragement that we all conform to the Lord Jesus Christ and let him have us. Amen. And then look at verse 6. He said, be anxious for nothing. Now, what does nothing mean? It means nothing. No matter what it is, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you know what that means? So walking by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that when you make your request, you're already settled in your heart. He hears and He'll answer whether I like it or not. Amen? He hears, He answers, and I sure hope it's what I want. But if it's not what I want, I know He hears and knows He answers. So I'm going to go ahead and give Him thanksgiving. So He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. You've often heard me say, we have complicated prayer. Listen, prayer is simply talking to God and then listening to Him. Talking to Him and listening to Him. You don't have to be on your knees, but you can be on your knees. You don't have to hold hands, but you can hold hands. You don't have to be in a circle, but you can be in a circle. Prayer is simply talking to God and listening to Him and saying, Yes, Lord, over and over again. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, whatever you say. Yes, Lord. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God. Now remember, one of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. The Holy Spirit lives in us. That's how we can see Him as near to us. And because of Him living in us, we have His peace. We don't have to act peaceful, posture peaceful. We can be peaceful because He is in us. And He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. What does He say? He says, will guard. Remember, we are in Christ. Mr. Peace... And Christ, Mr. Peace, is in us. We simply have to rest in it and abide in it. You see, what Paul knew was this. Paul understood the sovereignty of God. Paul knew all that there could be about God as far as His humanity. And what he was doing, he was saying, 
Even if I don't understand something, I know this. When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. I can totally depend on God no matter what. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. What will it do? It will guard. Guard is a military term. He says it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so it's like Paul has a garrison. He has an army between him and whatever causes conflict or whatever stood in the way. And God's peace had Paul in custody. So there he was with these thoughts by the Holy Spirit, writing these things to the Philippians. He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Third and last thing is this, the practice of a guarded heart and mind. So basically, Paul has come on the scene. He showed them how much he loves them. He has now delicately, just like a mom and dad would with a child, delicately addressed this conflict between these two ladies. He's used it as a teaching time. He's not being passive-aggressive. He's dealing it firmly, bluntly, and even publicly, but immediately he moves away from it, and he moves to how do we see this? Because he knew what was happening in the atmosphere here, and he wanted it to be an atmosphere of rejoicing. So the practice of a guarded heart and mind, verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true. It's almost like Paul saying, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellent and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Pastor, I do not know how to dwell. Yes, you do. Everybody here knows how to dwell. Are you having trouble sleeping at night? Or is there any conflict in your life and your mind keeps turning to it? That's dwelling. All of us can worry. Some may not be worrying now, but in three years you may be really worrying. You know how we worry? We think about something over and over again. That's dwelling. That's what that is. That's dwelling. So if we dwell on something, we're turning it over and over and over in our minds. The reason we know that we can live a Spirit-filled life is because we can worry. If we can so worry about something and dwell on something that it absolutely controls us, we can choose to turn our minds to the things of God, His Word, and rely on the Holy Spirit so much so that we begin to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a choice we have to make. He says, dwell on these things. Verse 9, the things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. He says, practice these things. Well, what happens if you do? Very, very positive. The God of peace will be with you. And I want to tell you something. The truth is this. The God of peace, He's already with you. He's in you. But we have to rely on He who is within us. We have to rely on Him. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true. You know, we can't think two thoughts at the same time. So we have to choose to think one thought after another. So therefore, since that's true, we can choose to think right thoughts, true thoughts. We can choose to think positive. It's not a positive, superficial. You know when someone's saying, hey, how you doing? Oh, you know, it's just kind of forced. No, he's saying train your mind to think right thoughts, good thoughts, true thoughts, 
worthy thoughts, and I know you're thinking, well, that needs to be in the Word of God. That's a given. I believe all of you are in the Word of God. But if you're not in the Word of God, get in the Word of God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you will tell you, get in my Word. And you know what that happens? That guards and guides your thinking. And so, when wrong thoughts come into our mind, we have a choice that we can act by our human will. We can choose to change that thought immediately and put it somewhere else. And if we will continue to do this, eventually we'll do this without focusing so much on choosing to do it. We'll begin to be this. He says, whatever is true. In the New American Standard, it says, whatever is honorable. Paul advised us here to concentrate our thoughts on nobler things. If you don't read good books, I would encourage you to read good books. We were with the family one evening, and their uh, 13-year-old son had a book that he'd been reading earlier in the day, and it was a big, thick book, and it was about those men and women God had used in a mighty way through Christian history. I encourage you, no matter what your age is, I encourage you to read, to concentrate your thoughts on nobler things, not to be impressive. That's what the scribes and Pharisees were, and it hurts a church. But to say, I want to be whatever is true, whatever is honorable, I want my mind to go that way so I'm more naturally rising. Don't be crude and don't be coarse. Uh, That has no place in a Christian's thought life. And he says, whatever is right. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right. Many things in this world are just not right, and they're not just. But we could easily dwell on what is not right, especially if we ourselves have been victims of injustice. We could build cases against people and seek revenge. We could allow our thoughts about what is unfair to sour our souls. We've got to be careful where we are right now as a nation, as conservative Bible-believing Christians, that our gospel does not become the United States of America. Our gospel is Jesus Christ, His shed blood, and the fact that there is absolutely no way to get to heaven except through the cross of Christ. If we're not careful, our nationalism will overshadow the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to be careful. We have to let the gospel of Jesus Christ control us to affect our nation, and our nation affect the whole world. We get this backwards, we're in deep trouble, and we're in deep trouble without it, and here I go getting negative. So, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, and then he says whatever is pure. Now, you say, how in the world do you keep your thoughts pure in the days in which we live? Because when we accept impure thoughts, it's hard to erase. If you see a wrong picture, even though you know what it means to live a crucified life and to walk in the Spirit. At any moment, any day, any time, that picture can come right back up to your mind. You can't erase it, but stay in the Word of God. Lift your thoughts to higher, nobler things. Don't watch junk on television. That is pollution. Turn it off. Read good books. Be careful who you read after, but read good books. He says whatever is lovely. We are to so saturate our mind with God's Word, live under the control of the Holy Spirit, that the loveliness of Christ flows in and through us because of a transformed thought life. This is what it means, whatever is lovely. And then the last thing is, whatever is of good repute. We're to think about things that lead to edification. 
Be careful. The, the Bible talks about dainty morsels in the Proverbs. Be careful when someone's hanging out a dainty morsel and you're tempted to get you some. Don't do it. When someone starts down a line of gossip, don't be arrogant. Don't be proud and say, hey, look, I really need to talk about some other things right now. I got enough stuff in my mind that's not good. I don't need one more dainty morsel in my mind because it tears down, it divides. Amen? You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.